Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. Hi, complete meltdown last night. My goodness gracious. Just a disaster uh, election night in Georgia and uh, uh, across the uh, across the, the board, uh, there are issues. I, I, I want to start the program today talking about Georgia. If you want to call in, feel free to. The number is 877-973-7425, 877-973-7425. But I, where do I begin? There is so much to talk about in what happened last night, and you need to understand that there were problems across the board. Uh, let me start with the big problems. Uh, just just so everybody understands out of the gate. Let me, you know, in, in internet slogan, you have the TL semicolon uh, DR, too long, didn't read is what it stands for. Let me give you the too long, didn't listen uh, version of this. There were problems. They were not willful. They were not intentional. They were not malicious, but they were problems, most of which were foreseeable. One big one was not uh, and caught everyone by surprise. So let me review those for you. Here's what happened first so you understand. Uh, Well, first of all, let me just say one of the big problems is you did not get uh, a, you, you didn't start getting results anywhere in the state until every precinct was closed, which was truly genuinely ridiculous. I, I, to my knowledge, and I talked to several reporters in the past, well, we, we've never seen this before. And that is on the secretary of state. Uh, they refuse to begin releasing results every year in Georgia. There are polls that stay open late. And the Secretary of State's office refused to put up the official site for data until every poll in the state was closed. And I I think that was blindingly ridiculous. It was a mistake, and it allowed uh, people to amplify the concerns that votes were being stolen. It, it was a it was a bad idea. Um, so beyond that, though, there were problems at the local level. Let, let me deal with Fulton County in Atlanta. In Fulton County, a number of poll workers were tested in the run-up to yesterday, and they tested positive for the virus. So they could no longer open those precincts because they were short-staffed. And in other precincts, given the number of senior citizens who manned the polls, people didn't show up, and they had to close those precincts. So they had to consolidate uh, several dozen precincts. And so there were long lines at the spillover precincts where normally you have about uh, 7,000 people who are registered to vote in a precinct. Uh, You combine just two of those, you're talking about 14,000 people. Combine five of those, you're talking about 35,000 registered voters. Now, the system was already overwhelmed because so many people applied for absentee ballots. You know, uh, the, the, the Secretary of State in Georgia really does deserve a lot of credit for encouraging people to vote by absentee ballot and doing so well in advance. The problem is so many people applied for absentee ballots that they did not get all the absentee ballots to them, and those are handled at the local level. So in Fulton, Cobb, Gwinnett, DeKalb, the high population parts of the state, there are people who showed up to vote yesterday who had applied to vote by absentee ballot and had not gotten their absentee ballot. 
There were other people who went who got their absentee ballot, but it came so late they couldn't send it back or they forgot to send it back. So the result is that they showed up and they had to vote by provisional ballot and they couldn't use the voting machines because they were listed as having received their absentee ballot. So you had a bunch of people who showed up at the polls who shouldn't have had to show up at the polls and they showed up at the polls because they never got an absentee ballot that they applied for and did so timely, but the local systems were so overwhelmed and they didn't uh, staff up to be able to handle this that it was a huge problem. Now, beyond that, there were other issues. You had the consolidated precinct. So you had consolidated precincts where people from different precincts were having to show up because they tried to apply for an absentee ballot. They never got their absentee ballot, so they're having to go to a different precinct, and then they're having to they, – they, they show up at their old precinct. Their old precinct is closed. They've got to find the new precinct. They show up. They're in line all day. It's pouring down rain outside. Severe thunderstorms rolled through the state yesterday in the metro area. And uh, there's a backlog of people. And then they got to do provisional balloting. And then the the precincts are short-staffed to begin with because the senior citizens who had the virus didn't show up. So you had all sorts of problems. To his credit, the Secretary of State tried to anticipate these problems and get people to do absentee balloting. At the county level, a lot of the counties failed to do the anticipation the Secretary of State did, and they failed to staff up. They failed to hire more people to help process the absentee ballots and the like. There, there, were, there were failures at the county level in that regard. That is not the Secretary of State's fault. He does not oversee the day-to-day implementation. Now, there are a lot of people who say, well, he exercises too much control. Well, the reason the Secretary of State in Georgia exercises too much control is not a Republican plot. This came about in the 1990s and and was solidified in 2000. If you remember the butterfly ballot in uh, Palm Beach County, Florida, where the individual boards of election were in charge of designing the ballots for their counties. And it was such a disaster in Florida. When Georgia started looking at reforming its voting laws, one of the things Georgia did is it more unified uh, the creation of the ballot at the state level. And it's the state that oversees the ultimate uh, implementing of, of what machines will be used and how they will be used and what the ballot will look like. And this was done because of screw-ups in prior elections. Let's not revise history and, and ignore what happened in 2000 with that butterfly ballot that caused wholesale change. I was an intern for Kathy Cox at the time. Uh, this happened when I was in law school and then getting out of law school and was helping the Secretary of State's office. And Kathy Cox, the then Secretary of the State in Georgia, uh, it participated in some serious comprehensive revisions of election laws in the state of Georgia. All of them improved the system. Every single thing Kathy Cox did as Secretary of State improved our systems in the state. Uh, the electronic balloting that, that she oversaw improved the systems in the state, that the more control of the sec- to the Secretary of State for shaping the ballot and all of that, uh, she improved. And that hasn't changed since she left the Secretary of State's office. And Karen Handel and then Brian Kemp oversaw those electronic voting machines that they did not choose. Their predecessor chose, and they oversaw the implementation of that system. The constant in all of this is Fulton, Gwinnett, Cobb, and and DeKalb, mostly Fulton and DeKalb, historically have problems. If you can recall, 
My institutional memory of Georgia elections only goes back to when I was in college and I was a college Republican. And I distinctly remember in 1996, I was in college. uh, Bill Clinton was running for a second term against Bob Dole. We were still using the Scantron machines in Georgia and Fulton County ran out of slips of ballot paper. That's right. Uh, There were all sorts of problems in Fulton County, and then the machines that that read the Scantron machines went down in Fulton County. This historically always happens in Fulton County. So don't blame Brad Raffensperger and the Secretary of State's office for these problems that constantly, consistently, always chronically happen at the local level in Georgia, particularly in Fulton County. The virus, a lack of people able to work the polls, screw-ups at the local level and not hiring enough staff to process absentee ballot applications. All of these things collided to cause problems. It was not willful, it was not malicious, but it happened. There are problems at the state level, though, and, and we shouldn't dismiss those. These new machines, I got to tell you, I, 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 I you heard me interview Brad Raffensperger yesterday. I decided to wait. I ran out the clock on applying for an absentee ballot and decided, you know what, I want to see these new machines anyway. They're not good. The new machines are bad. Now, why do I say they're bad? From a functional standpoint as a voter, you may not think they're bad other than, you know, the little card that has the chip in the old machines, you put it in with the chip face up and this one you got to, and I made this mistake, I didn't flip it over and put it face down. And they handed it to me with the chip up. I didn't even realize there, when you flipped the card over, it said this side up. So that, that was a problem. You had bad training because people couldn't get together in person to work on the machines. Here is why I say, though, that the machines are bad. With the prior electronic machines, you touch the screen, you cast your vote, you go away. And there were overwhelming suspicions about those machines that, oh, my goodness, they're going to be hacked. None of that stuff is true, but those were were the, the victimized rants of people who wanted to have a grievance. So everyone insisted we need to have a voter trail. Now, I assumed I had it in my head when I went in there. It was going to be like a cash register receipt with with the thermal printer that's not going to run out of ink. All you do is you pop in the new roll of paper and away you go. But that's not actually what happens. With these machines, you have a giant touchscreen. The touchscreen, the way it displays the ballot is more problematic than the old machine you have to navigate through. There's a lot more scrolling that you have to do and how it displays. And then it prints on a duplex laser printer. What is a duplex laser printer? A duplex laser printer is a laser printer that prints front and back automatically, double-sided automatically. They are more prone to jamming than a laser printer that does not duplex. Mine did not jam. But it printed out my ballot. It was confusing to read, although all the votes were registered, and it had a QR code. You know, a QR code is the square that has those little dots, and it can be scanned and read. And what you do as a voter then is you you take that off the printer. You take it down the hall to a what is basically a giant hopper, a, a giant trash can hopper uh, with a with a scanner on top of it that is secured and locked and you slide the ballot QR code face up through the machine, which reads it and it goes into this hopper where it's secured, except in some areas, the poll workers were not allowing you, the voter to run the the paper through. They were taking it themselves saying they would do it. 
that was problematic because there's a there's a point for vote fraud there. There's a point for rigging there where the voter himself is not placing it in the secure machine. The the poll worker is. I had multiple people tell me in multiple precincts around the state, the poll workers were taking the ballots and doing it themselves. And they're not supposed to. The voter is supposed to slide it through. But there, this is where the problem was that no one could have foreseen. The Scantron machines, the scanner machines, if the paper got wet, didn't want to read the paper. And there were severe thunderstorms in Georgia yesterday. The paper was humid. Anyone who's ever worked in an office knows when paper gets humid, it's more prone to jam. When paper gets wet, it's really prone to jam. And the scanners had all sorts of problems feeding the paper through. The laser printers, because of the high humidity from the rain, had problems. Essentially, what the Secretary of State did is say that if you're going to take if you're going to go vote we're going to introduce more complex points along the way one of the great things they did is you know in the past in Georgia you went for a primary and you went you had to fill out a little slip of paper um one i think it was blue red and white and the blue one was if you wanted the democratic primary you filled it out the the red one was if you wanted the republican primary the pink one you'd fill that out the white one if you just wanted the nonpartisan primary and you fill that out you hand the form they they check it your handwriting's garbled they scan your driver's license the new one is actually great with the new one uh you actually put your driver's license down and a and a little laser reader reads the barcode on the back of your driver's license says it's you confirms it's you and then with an ipad you touch i want the democratic ballot or Republican ballot, the independent ballot, there's no form for you to have to fill out. And then you use your finger and you sign the iPad or, or they gave you a stylus yesterday to use completely unsanitary. But by the way, that's, that's what they use. No one saw the virus coming when they picked these machines. That actually was great. That sped the process along. It was everything beyond that point that made it more inefficient. Uh, the new style of, of how the ballot is displayed on the screen, the way the card is put into the machine the handling of a duplex laser printer and and the paper running out and all those problems, people coming by and having to wipe down the touchscreens, and then the paper was humid or damp and got jammed in the machines, and then the scanner didn't want to read it if it was wet, or you had to hand it to the poll worker who said they would feed it through later, which raised doubts in your mind as to whether or not it would actually happen. All of those points along the way caused overwhelming problems, and the results then spoke for themselves last night. In addition to all the problems at the local level, that entire system caused problems. People weren't trained sufficiently on the on, on the system because of the virus. They had to get together on Zoom calls, and the system broke. The system let a lot of people down. It was not willful. It was not malicious. It was not fraud. It was not suppression. It was incompetence. It was unforeseen things. It was a virus, and it all contributed to a system being overwhelmed. And that's really unacceptable. And we have only about 150 days to get this right between now and the November election. And I've got to tell you, there needs to be a complete wholesale investigation into who picked those machines. And you're going to have to forgive my language here. But the moment I saw those machines, I thought this was a consultant's wet dream. It had so many components and so many pieces. Some consultant somewhere got very rich selling a terrible system to the state of Georgia. And whoever decided to pick that needs to be held accountable, even if it's the incumbent secretary of state. The system did not do a good job picking that machine. It really was not a good machine. 
and it caused too many separate parts and too many pieces that could go wrong along the way. And we saw that happen last night and we need to completely rethink this before November. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, the attorney general from the state of Arkansas is going to join me, Leslie Rutledge, to talk about this mass movement now on the left to want to defund the police. Um, it, it actually is a rather, man, it's just weird to see these people coming out uh, suddenly championing the defunding the police. And of course, prominent Democrats are coming out and saying, no, 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 no. We, we don't really want to do that. And yet their base does. The mayor of Seattle is a hyper-progressive partisan who is opposed to the police in a, well, I shouldn't say she's completely opposed to the police, She, but she wants to completely rethink law enforcement in this country. Uh, she has allowed Antifa to take six city blocks in Seattle and declare them essentially their own country. Uh, they put up barriers. They're calling it the, the um, what, the Cap Hill Free Zone or some such like that. They, they have Antifa. They're asking for guns and ammunition to defend the place. Uh, they've stormed the... Um, they 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 they've they've stormed the city hall to oust the mayor for refusing to defund the police and this is part of the problem the democratic party now is so captured by the left because they need the progressive kids energy to win the election uh they're essentially being hijacked by some of these people and it's going to end badly for them it is an opportunity for the president to assert himself but he needs to figure out a way to do so. And, ah, you know, at some point today, maybe at the so I, y'all, I kind of lost it with a caller yesterday on my other show from Rome, uh, who essentially was upset with me for holding the president to a higher standard uh, than I would hold my kid or my wife and, and, or, and, and having the audacity to talk about it on, on the internet or on the radio. Y'all, uh, first of all, I, I am a talk radio show host. It's what I do. I talk about the news of the day and it was news where the president is, is tweeting conspiracy theories about the 75 year old in, in Massachusetts, but we'll, 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 we'll get there. Um, the president has an opportunity here to assert himself allegedly he wants to do a speech on racial reconciliation. They are already uh, panning the uh, speech on the left and the media because Stephen Miller is writing it. Stephen Miller who takes a hard line on immigration. Uh, all sorts of problems. And... It's just, I, I, y'all, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm kind of done. So I'm, I'm, I've got the attorney general from Arkansas coming up next. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm excited to talk to her about this issue uh, because in Arkansas, of course, Arkansas has dealt with issues in the past and, and she's a very law and order D, uh, U.S. Uh, our attorney general. Uh, but she also understands that there are needs for reform. And this is an area that the Trump campaign and the president can lay out a path. They're letting Tim Scott, uh, the U.S. senator from South Carolina, who is black, uh, draft some proposed reforms for the Republicans in the Senate to consider. He's getting some pushback and blown up by some quarters for doing so. 
I think you got to give Tim Scott his due on this, and I'm actually kind of surprised to see some of the over-the-top uh, reaction from some people saying, oh, no, we shouldn't do anything. No, I, I think the consensus is elsewhere, and we need to try to figure out a way to balance all of this. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. The 56th Attorney General, the state of Arkansas, is Leslie Rutledge. She has been in that position since 2015. And boy, as the Democrats are hijacked by the left who seem to want to actually defund police across America. Uh, there's no better person to talk to than uh, an attorney general in a state like Arkansas. Leslie Rutledge, how are you? Let's see, your, 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 your phone line was stuttering there for just a second. Um, okay, I, so I want to ask you about the, the defund police effort as in, a, a, I think some would call you a law and order attorney general, but there, there's an angle there I want to want to pursue here in a minute. But when you see Democrats across the nation now saying that we should be defunding the police, uh, I, I would love to have your take on that. Well, absolutely. And, you know, this effort by the liberal left to defund our police departments and this movement is disturbing at best. But it's really, you know, any effort Eric, to defund or disband police departments just diminishes the rule of law in America on which our society was founded. Uh, the vast majority of law enforcement officers care deeply about their communities and they they want to eliminate those unfit to serve as peacekeepers as much as the rest of us. And so we really have to understand, we have to listen to one another and concerns, but what we cannot allow to happen is for the liberal left and anarchists to destroy the rule of law in America. It, it, it's striking to me to see some Democratic position politicians try to have it both ways that they want to say uh, that they want to defund the police, but it doesn't really mean that. It just means uh, getting the police to do things different. And yet, it I guess overnight, there's the story in California just the last week. Uh, the number of homicides has skyrocketed in the last week as they decide to rearrange their police priorities. Well, police are there to protect us. Law enforcement officers are there to protect us and our communities. And that's one of the number, you know, probably the number one role of government is to keep citizens safe. Keepers and those, you know, when you call 911, you want someone to say, we'll have an officer on the way. And you want someone to say, we have an officer en route. Please stay on the line. Stay calm. And that's. Uh, when you talk about defunding the police, you talk about creating chaos in our streets. And so the likes of Vice President Biden and the Democratic Party pushing for this sort of nonsense is something that we've got to tamp down immediately because we must have safety and security so we can have those good schools, so we can have jobs. You know, job creators don't want to come to an area where there's a high crime rate. Parents don't want to send their kids to schools where there's a high crime rate. But what the liberal left agenda is doing is destroying America creating crime and chaos in our streets, and it's led by the likes of Joe Biden, AOC, and the rest of them. 
Now, let me shift gears just a little bit on on some of those solutions because people do see these videos or they see the situation uh, here in Georgia where I am, the Ahmed Arbery situation where it was the local DA who uh, told the police not to pursue that investigation in Ahmed Arbery. You in Arkansas established a public integrity division and you go around the state as an attorney general uh, meeting with constituents around the state and and hearing their concerns. And it, it, it seems like there are proactive things that you have done and that maybe other state attorney generals should consider doing to address these issues without defunding police. Well, and it's important that as the attorney general that I do hear from our Kansans and meet with them face to face and meet with law enforcement and meet with concerned citizens. And we do that. I, I go to every single county in the state uh, each year meeting with folks and, and you all in Georgia are blessed. I have a good attorney general and Chris Carr. I've gotten to know him over the last couple of years, and he is certainly a a law and order attorney general. Uh, But what I will say in Arkansas is that we have a great rapport with our law enforcement, but we also sit down and have a good rapport with community leaders. And to me, that is important as we are discussing these issues. Yeah, and it just it, what if if you could if you were let, let's just say you were queen for a day and and you hear people uh, saying we need to have reforms uh, in police. What do you advocate w- when you hear people say we need to have reforms? What are your suggestions for for doing this with a without undermining law enforcement? Well, I think it's uh, it's important if, you know when we talk about reforms in any profession, but particularly in uh, civil servants that we. Uh, not have, you know, in Arkansas, we're a non-union state, but that we not have, uh, whether it's a police department or any uh, government entity and employees being pressured by a union. And in some of these states, you have unions that are making the decisions and law enforcement officers, uh, for fear of retribution from union officials, afraid to speak out. And, you know, we need our law enforcement, when they see a bad actor, they need to be confident that they can report that bad actor and we can take steps to remove someone who does not need to be in law enforcement. The same with any other profession. If we see someone who is unethical in government, we need to remove that person because they don't need to be serving the public. They need to go somewhere where they can only serve themselves. Well, it, it very well said. Now, one of the issues I think Republicans are looking at in, in the U.S. Senate right now, and, and the president hasn't yet weighed in on this, is possibly doing some some different funding priorities within the police. I would actually be curious on your take on one of the proposals. Some of them are floating. I know Justin Amish from Michigan is, is one of the advocates of this, is uh, reviewing the qualified immunity standard for police, and, and does any of that need to be changed? Well, I think that's something that, you know, I'll be happy to to look into more in depth, visit with Senator Tom Cotton, Senator John Bozeman, as well as our our federal delegation. I've I've been very uh, proud of our senators, particularly Senator Tom Cotton, and efforts that he has uh, made to address these issues across America that we've been facing, uh, particularly with regard to ensuring law and order is kept in our, our hometowns. Yeah, I, I, it just it seems like we, we need to find some solutions for some of these problems. But th- this this whole defund the police thing, uh, I was shocked that anyone on the left even thought it was a good idea. I, by the way, I don't know if you've seen this because it's an overnight development that Antifa has stormed City Hall in Seattle demanding that the mayor who is super left resign because she won't actually cut off funding for the police. <laughs> and that's exactly the sort of chaos that we cannot allow to happen. Uh, we Democratic leaders need to shut down Antifa. And if they, if Joe Biden and AOC and 
Kamala Harris and the rest of these so-called leaders in the Democratic Party don't acknowledge that Antifa is nothing more than a, a homegrown organization to designed to destroy America, then they need to be held accountable for Antifa's actions. I agree. Now, listen, I, I, before you get off the phone, I just I need the, the entire world to listen that uh, you being a graduate of the University of Arkansas and me being from Louisiana, we, we actually did just have a civil conversation without squabbling about <laughs> Razorbacks and Tigers. And, and so I appreciate that very much. Well, we have not been in a position to have uh, very strong conversations about our sports team in a couple of years <laughs> with regard to football. Uh, we're excited about basketball. We're excited about our new football coach. Uh, Sam Pittman, uh, but I'll be happy to talk track and baseball anytime. <laughs> well played. Listen, thank you so much for stopping by. I appreciate it very much. Hey, you bet, Eric. You have a blessed day. You too. That is uh, Leslie Rutledge. She is the Attorney General for the state of Arkansas. And uh, I, I, let me let me highlight again because she didn't know I was gonna gonna ambush her with with this particular thing, but but it is worth I think pointing out one of the things she did do in Arkansas when because they did not do this prior to her becoming attorney general is she established a uh, division within the Arkansas Department of Justice where they would actually, it was a public integrity division that looked at not, it started off as a place to examine Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid fraud that was existing within government. And then it expanded across the board to to look at public integrity, and that involves also the police in Arkansas. That is one thing I, I think that probably needs to be done nationwide. Uh, and, and even I, a number of the police that I talk to around the state of Georgia say, you know, one of the, our biggest issues. Now, just, just so you guys know, regardless of where you are in the state, you may not know this. I, I drove past it for years. I always have known, like if you drive down 75 in, in Georgia from between Atlanta and Macon, you get to Forsyth, Georgia, and everybody hits their brakes because it is like speed trap capital of North America. And the reason is because the Georgia State Patrol has their training facility there, and that's where they learn to use speed detection devices. You can drive through Forsyth, Georgia. So for those of you listening who aren't in Georgia, uh, this place is it's 15 minutes up the road from me. And you can drive through Forsyth, Georgia, and you will occasionally, ahead of you, you'll come up a hill into Forsyth from the south side, and you'll see people hitting their brakes. And you're like, what's going on? And you'll see the state patrol trainees on the overpasses with their speed detection devices, learning how to use their speed detection devices. And occasionally, they'll, just last week, as a matter of fact, I had to go up to Atlanta, and I, I want to say I saw 10 state troopers had pulled people over because you come over that hill from the north side, you can't see that anything's coming. Then all of a sudden, you you hit all these people with these um, speed detection devices, and the state troopers are up on the on ramp and they're zipping onto the interstate, pulling people over uh, as they're doing their training. And so you hit the brakes there. And so there's a lot of law enforcement in the area. I say all that to say I, I encounter a lot of police officers around the state who come to Forsyth. They listen to the program from where they are in the state. Occasionally, I get messages from them. Hey, you want to get together, listen to the show? And I will. Uh, they're the police. I, 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 liked, I like to be friends with police officers. Um, and inevitably, if this conversation comes up, the, the constant lament is on training. 
and and on the standards and on lowering the standards to increase the number of people who can come through as a matter of, of pride for the police force. And, and frankly, sometimes there is an issue there. Uh, some of these police officers will say it's all a matter of lowering standards because you need more more women or other people to come in. And so you got to lower either safety and strength standards. Or sometimes they'll say other standards were lowered just because they need to boost the number of people in the class uh, and that they've done this historically over time, much as you've seen in the military. And and there's there has always every time I have these conversations with law enforcement, one of the chief complaints is always about lowered standards. Uh, There is always seemingly a complaint that they're either have done or they fear that a standard will be lowered on on strength and safety standards to accommodate women at a time where we're supposed to believe there are no physical differences between men and women. And there are. And there's always that concern by the by the the men that I talk to in law enforcement. But then there's there's the ongoing training and the way training is done and the pressures. But there's also something else that, that needs to be addressed here. The number of people I know in law enforcement who don't feel safe. Now, you're thinking these are people with badges and handcuffs and guns. How can they not feel safe? You clearly have people in society right now agitating against the police, and they're not separating the good from the bad. And so all police right now feel put upon. They feel endangered in some cases. A friend of mine was telling me his father is a police officer and uh, has had people follow him home and is worried about his kids showing up. They're they're grown and and he's worried about his kids showing up at the house when he's not there, if someone's there. We got to have the backs of the people who have our backs and keep us safe. There are reform efforts that can be done, and and frankly, I think Leslie Rutledge and her Public Integrity Division in Arkansas, what she's done and going around the state and hearing the concerns of of citizens on a regular basis is is one of the things. The attorneys general of the various states can be much more proactive in that regard, as can the governors. And here in Georgia, of course, you know, we've got a very hands-on governor with Brian Kemp going around the state all the time, uh, and the attorney general. Not not every attorney general does that. Uh, There are definite reforms though that can be put in place and i i gotta say i'm a little bit perturbed at the number of republicans who see tim scott coming up with with potential reforms and and they're rushing out to say why are we reforming anything you know no when you're in the minority even when you think you're right and i know a lot of these guys think this is all an overreaction i've got a lot of friends in this camp they think it's an overreaction and I totally get that they think it's an overreaction, but I also think that we're we are a republic, but we're also a democracy. People vote, and you got to sometimes pay attention when you've got this overwhelming spike in the number of people who suddenly think this is a problem. You do have to alleviate their concerns either through explaining to them that it's not a problem or showing them that you're taking proactive measures to address their concerns. Uh, this is politics at the end of the day. And digging your heels in the sand and saying this far, no further, when the public says, no, you haven't even begun to walk forward, probably isn't the wisest thing to do. And overwhelmingly, Americans think something needs to happen. <laughs> so funny that Charlie and I are, are we're texting back and forth during commercial break. And then a, a friend of mine who's a police officer who's listening down in Valdosta uh, is texting me at the same time. And they're saying exactly the same thing, that that uh, it, it's the training, it's the training, it's the training. Uh, that it's got to be more rigorous. Um, it, it, I hear that all the time from so many 
police officers out there that it is the training, the training, the training. And yes, it is the training, uh, among other things that needs to be dealt with uh, in the country right now. But this defunding the police stuff, it is truly going to be a non-starter. And uh, you know what? I am going to play it. Here's Kamala Harris. One of the, the issues that I think we should all agree on is that it is old thinking. It is outdated and is actually wrong and, 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 and backward to think that more police officers will create more safety. But, you know, this is the left has this ongoing situation where they say that we need more money in education and we need more teachers to improve education. It's just kind of interesting. I saw someone yesterday. I can't remember who it was. My apologies for stealing your point without giving you credit that – you're more likely to encounter a bad teacher than a bad police officer. And yet the left never wants to deal with bad teachers. They want to protect. They they always say they do, but then they prop up teachers unions. And now they're saying we got to get rid of police unions to stop protecting bad police officers. Why not get rid of the teachers unions uh, about the bad, bad teachers? Because if we can't have a wholesale conversation about race in America, what's the point? Because we have a lot of children in black neighborhoods from poorer families who go to public schools who will graduate from high school without the ability to read or write well or do uh, math well. And that will hinder their long-term performance in the workforce. You have every Fortune 500 company in North America, in the United States, wants to hire more diversity, not of thought, but of skin color. They have to have competent people to be able to do that. And when you are depriving uh, black children of good education in failing public schools by propping up teachers unions who protect bad teachers, uh, you're not really improving the situation. If you're not allowed to talk about that aspect of it, you're doing this for politics. You're not doing this for real reform. I mean, I think I have gotten an email from virtually every company that I have done business with in my life. I've gotten an email from them talking about how black lives really do matter and they're working to change the situation. You've got HBO Max has decided they can no longer show you Gone with the Wind. It's offensive. The the movie that got uh, the first black actress an Academy Award is no longer allowed to be seen on a streaming service, which is ridiculous. I have a sneaking suspicion we're not only not going to get anything done, where there's going to be backlash. There, there's polling out today that shows a huge, huge spike in support for Black Lives Matter. And, I, you know, yes, there is there is a huge increase in support. But you know what this reminds me of? Reminds me of the fight over gay marriage before the Supreme Court intervened. Every poll would always show a majority of people supported it, and it would always lose at the ballot box. And it was because people were lying to the pollsters because they didn't want to be labeled a bigot. And when they actually showed up at the ballot box, they didn't vote with the way they told the pollster they would. 
Remember North Carolina? In North Carolina, the polling showed gay marriage was going to win overwhelmingly, and it crashed at the defeat at the hands of black voters in North Carolina. In California, overwhelmingly, people were going to reject Proposition 8 that would ban gay marriage in California, and it actually passed at the polls in California. People were too scared even of the mob to be truthful with pollsters. And I suspect that's happening now. It's not that people are lying. They do believe Black Lives Matter. They are outraged by the video. But it is the tie into the agenda of the organization Black Lives Matter. And this this struggle session on the left right now, you, you see people being ruined for a tweet or an Instagram picture they put up a decade ago. Of course, when the pollster calls, they're going to say, oh, absolutely, I support this. And and they're, they're not. And, and here's the problem with that is they're going to seethe with resentment. And it's going to cause a backlash. Y'all, listen, I know some of you will disagree with me. But I really do think there are problems we do have to address. And I, I have a real sneaking suspicion that we're not actually going to address those issues in this country uh, because there is going to be a backlash and as there is a backlash in this country because of all the politicians uh, not actually looking for solutions, but looking to drum up voters in angst and anger, we're going to be in a situation where it's going to end badly across the board for a host of people. And that's, that's going to be a problem. We need to fix the problems. And we're not going to because of the machinations of politicians who want to keep the grievance alive and a lot of people who are upset and have a backlash. In February, when COVID-19 was a distant concept to most Americans, gold was in the $1,500 range. The Dow was over 29000 Today, as the virus tears apart the economy, gold's over $1,700, and the Dow is around 24000 to 26000 Wobbling in between, major market disruptions favor gold, instability, uncertainty. Impending inflation, they all favor gold. If you've not diversified some of your savings into gold, there's no better time than today. Protect your savings from further setbacks in the stock market. Gold, it's a safe haven. The company I trust with precious metal purchases is Birch Gold Group. And right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can even move your IRA or your eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver. It's perfect for those who want to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from any more downturns in the stock market. Look back historically, when the bottom falls out of everything else, gold tends to be a safeguard savings. Contact Birch Gold Group to request a free info kit on physical precious metals. See if diversifying into gold and silver makes sense for you. The comprehensive 20-page kit reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can legally move your IRA or your 401k out of risky stocks and bonds into a precious metals IRA. To get your no-cost, no-obligation kit, go to birchgold.com slash Erickson. That's B-I-R-C-H gold.com slash Erickson, E-R-I-C-K. K-S-O-N. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is, what is the phone number? <laughs> 877-973-7425. Them's the numbers. All right. Uh, we, we got we got stuff we got to talk about here. Um, and I'm going, l- listen, if you weren't here for the first hour, let me give you a quick nutshell. Well, I, actually, uh, you know what? Let me play the idiot Chris Cuomo. 
You know, there's no more powerful way to make a point than proof, okay? Uh, the president has consistently told you, mail-in balloting, oh, you can't do it. It's rife with fraud. It's not true. He made it up because he doesn't like it, because he obviously has some personal concerns about having too many people have too much access to voting. Oh, well, you know, you got to be very careful because I actually won the popular vote. Uh, you know, it was all these illegals in California. They, they're, you know, fake voters. They weren't supposed to vote. It's not true. It's never been true. You look at the cases. There have been studies done. It's not true. And here's the tragedy of the travesty that the president has created on this issue. We have real voter suppression concerns. One is playing out now. Proof. Please put the picture back up. Nobody needs to look at my nose. This has been going on. Georgia's primary, a mess all day and evening. Most of the problems have been in and around Atlanta. Why? That's what we're going to discuss. People waited for hours in the middle of a pandemic to vote. God bless them uh, for the fortitude. But why did they have to? Fulton County, which includes parts of Atlanta, extended voting by an hour tonight. Uh, the mayor of Atlanta is asking people to stay in line. It's a big ask. We know it's dangerous for you to be out there. This is the only type of widespread voter fraud we will ever see. Please understand that, okay? Not here, because you'll hear a lot, doesn't make it true. Just because he says something does not make it true, and more and more often, it makes it likely to be false. Forget about all that talk, okay? Disenfranchisement is the concern. It has always been the concern. Okay, that's what we need to talk about tonight. Now, he's not the person to talk about it. Let me is this this whole having Chris Cuomo be outraged about this stuff, having the Democrats partisan weaponize this against the GOP. Um, you know, the irony here is they'll make it about Brian Kemp, who has nothing now to do with this system because he's not the secretary of state. And really, it's not even Brad Raffensperger's fault, the secretary of state. There are some issues at the secretary of state's level, but ultimately uh, there were failures at the local level. In large part, some of the stuff out of their control, poll workers who wound up testing positive for the virus shortly before the election wound up not being able to go help with the election. So they had to consolidate precincts. It caused a mess. They were using brand new voting machines. By the way, they couldn't go back to the old machines because a federal judge appointed by Barack Obama would not let them, nor could they shift to paper ballots at the last minute. They were stuck with the new machines and all their problems. And those machines, y'all, are terrible. They are terrible. I have used them. They are terrible. They, and now, why are they terrible? Let, let me explain to you again why they're terrible. There should be a comprehensive investigation. In fact, I, I've had multiple people say that, that uh, there were all sorts of warnings. Uh, behind the scenes, there were warnings. In, in Texas, the, the vendor was apparently decertified in Texas. There needs to be an investigation. You know, if you listen to this program, you know my feelings on David Ralston. The man is right. There needs to be an investigation. But there needs to be a deeper investigation into these machines. Now, why? There are too many points of problem for these machines. You have iPads, which are actually good. Instead of having little slips where you have to write out that you want a Republican or Democratic ballot, you had iPads. And you filled out on the iPad, uh, you touched the screen, I want the Democrat or the Republican ballot, and then you signed with your finger. And then when you did that, then you went to the polling booth, 
and you had a touchscreen machine and you had a card with a chip and then you had a duplexing laser printer. Uh, something could go wrong with the chip card. Something could go wrong with the touchscreen. Something could go wrong with the laser printer. It could run out of paper. It could run out of toner. It could jam. And then you had an entirely separate box on top of which set a scanner that scanned your ballot after you did it. And in multiple locations, the poll workers got your ballot and stacked them up together and said they would feed them into the machine, not you, which raises all sorts of concerns in and of themselves. The whole idea of going to paper ballot or going to electronic balloting was to uh, it, it was was to get rid of the concerns about voter fraud and voter error on the Scantron machines. And remember, this is not a Republican problem. This was back in the day where the Republicans wanted to keep the the paper ballots, and the Democrats wanted electronic balloting. And the Democrats wanted the electronic ballots uh, because after the 2000 disaster in Florida, the butterfly ballot and and the bubbles not being filled in correctly by people, particularly senior citizens who had arthritis and couldn't fill it in. They thought, you know what? Electronic ballots would be great for seniors and those with disabilities because they can have a large, bright screen and they could just touch someone's name. They wouldn't have to fill in a bubble. And you know what? They're right. The seniors and, and the disabled works fantastic. Of course, the problem is you can't stuff ballot boxes with paper ballots when you have the have the screens. Now they're saying, oh, they could be hacked. Uh, no one hacked George's voting machines. That That's mythology. And in fact, frankly, the, the older screens, the older machines did a better job. And there needs to be a serious investigation. But it was not fraud. And it, there was nothing willful. There was nothing malicious. There were a combination of errors. And it turns out, you know, the, these new machines, when the paper gets too humid or wet, it, it causes jams, which we knew in laser printers could happen. But in this actual scanner where you scan the ballot, they were getting jammed and it wasn't working because it was pouring down rain. There were severe thunderstorms yesterday in Georgia. So there are problems and it does need to be fixed. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure that we will. Now, one of the talking points today is that there is a huge, huge bit of um, Democratic turnout, a huge surge. So, so the Democrats, particularly in the suburban areas of Georgia, turned out in mass. Um, I would not put too much stock in that. The reason I would not put too much stock in that is because of the contest and local levels. Uh, and of course, you you had did have the, the a, a contest. You didn't have a contested presidential race for the Republicans. You didn't have a contested Senate race. You did have contested uh, congressional primaries in certain areas, but uh, you did not uh, in a lot of the state even have that. But you had lots of local races in lots of counties where the counties are still overwhelmingly Democrat and people had to vote. And I mean, I had to vote. And, and by the way, uh, so the DA here in, in Bibb County, where I am, who I voted for in the Democratic primary, he wound up losing. I, I know nothing about the, the woman that he lost to. I'm sure she's very nice. Um, a, a friend of mine is a huge advocate of hers. I, I know nothing about her. I just thought the DA was doing a good job. So I voted to leave him in, in office. Uh, but he got got just a, a drubbing at the polls. And interestingly enough, a, a lot of it had to do with the fact that he is a white Democrat in a county that is trending black and, and black voters decided they wanted to have a black district attorney uh, in the area. And he, he got his clock cleaned. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. It's just, it's kind of funny watching that sort of stuff fall out in the Democratic Party. But around the state, a lot of people had to vote in Democratic primaries because of local races, and that shaped the Democratic turnout. I wouldn't put too much stock in this huge talking point about there being a huge surge. Now, uh, where do we go from here? Well, let me get into the Secretary of State's website, and I can give you some of the analysis. And by the way, this is another problem. 
we have never, we have always in Georgia extended poll openings. And this is the first time, this is the first time that the Secretary of State's office has chosen not to show you live results until every precinct closes. And and that is a problem at the Secretary of State's level, and they need to not do that again. Uh, that was ridiculous, having people having to wait all night long. And in some of these cases, the the, the local uh, the local folks just gave up and went home. Um, why bother if the Secretary of State's office wasn't going to show anybody the results? That needs to be fixed. That was wrong. But where do we go in, in the big races? You've got the 7th Congressional District, Rich McCormick able to get out of it without a runoff. Uh, Karen Handel in the 6th Congressional District able to get out of it without a runoff. In the 9th Congressional District, that's Northeast Georgia, it's going to be Andrew Clyde and Matt Gertler uh, will go into a runoff. And I've got to tell you, you people are blessed. If you're in the Habersham County area and, and, and the Northeast Georgia area, you are blessed. You have two really good people running for office now in your in your runoff. Uh, I, I do not have a an ill word to say about Andrew Clyde or Matt Gertler. Now, I, I've been backing Matt Gertler. Matt Gertler is a friend. He's young. I like him. Uh, he stands on principle in the state legislature. Andrew Clyde, I don't know, but I know his background, and it is super impressive. And you people are going to have one hell of a congressman, whoever it is, because whoever wins this runoff is going to be your congressman, and they're going to be awesome. In the 14th Congressional District, it's going to be uh, Marjorie uh, Taylor Greene and John Cowan. I do not know John Cowan. Uh, I, I never even heard of the guy. Uh, I, I've never met him to my knowledge. Uh, and and he pulled off a very impressive. Now, it, it looks very impressive for Marjorie Greene, 42.4%. Uh, and, you know, she's the only one I know who really ran an aggressive ad strategy. She had the money to be able to do it. And she could very well win this runoff, uh, given it. Um, the the sense I get from people in the Rome area is that she has a ceiling at around 40 to 45% and that other people rally. But in a runoff, you never know. Um, now, I, I was supporting Kevin Cook. He only got 5.4% of the vote. Um, I, I'm sorry to see him out of politics now because he's such a good guy. Uh, and I hope the future holds something bright for him beyond politics. He really is a good guy. Uh, but so you'll have John Cowan in the race with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, if Cowan comes out swinging, listen, here's the thing. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene would be one heck of a congresswoman. Uh, there are a, every single person I have ever talked to in politics in the last year has said, whoa, there, 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 there's, there's a lot of there there. Be careful. And if John Cowan comes out and runs a super nasty race, uh, maybe he'll be able to take her out. But, you know, if Marjorie Taylor Greene gets elected and goes to Congress, she will be one of those people who is on Fox News capturing the hearts and minds of conservatives across America uh, for the next several years. Uh, John Cowan is definitely going to give a run for money. He's a neurosurgeon. I, I don't know anything about him, though. I uh, don't know anything about him. Philip Singleton won. Uh, maybe the speaker will abandon trying to challenge Philip Singleton. Uh, my buddy Michael Caldwell lost his state Senate race to the incumbent Brandon Beach. Brandon's a good guy. I just I, I prefer Michael because I, I know him and I think he's better on school choice issues. Brandon will be fine. Uh, and then there is a runoff, Jason Anavitarte and um, Boyd Austin in the Paulding Harrelson area. Uh, Jason, it looks like he's set up to win that runoff, which will be great. Uh, it was just, it was an interesting night across the board, and there will be some people, I suspect, who have won, 
who really had no business winning, but because we're in a situation where you don't have normal campaigning and you don't have normal turnouts, everything's kind of turned on its head. One other thing to to pay attention to here are these uh, Court of Appeals and Supreme Court races. It does, in fact, appear that the uh, incumbents for the Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals won. Uh, There was a very tough race there between Beth Beskin and Charlie Bethel uh, for the state Supreme Court. Uh, Beth Beskin, a a moderate Republican who lost uh, against Charlie Bethel, who inarguably is more conservative than Beskin. She'd be great on the court, but um, Bethel would be more conservative, more likely to stand with pro-lifers than than Beskin. It looks like he won his re-election. The Fulton DA race. Now, this is, I realize this show is everywhere in Georgia except Atlanta. I try not to talk about the the ongoing problems of Atlanta, but there is an issue here that you should know about. Paul Howard is trailing Fannie Willis. Uh, Paul Howard is the incumbent DA. He is prosecuting those police officers who tased the two college kids in their car. And the police are suing for their jobs back. And even the police chief says this is political because the DA is trying to win re-election using these two police officers to get there. That is going to become a huge scandal. He's also under investigation by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation for using a nonprofit to supplement his salary. There are all sorts of issues there, and they will have statewide ramifications. And this gets into a larger issue here where I do really think that we're going to see people politicized in a lot of these issues, uh, police brutality and the like, trying to advance their cause without actually fixing the problem because they're going to amplify and create a problem where there actually isn't one. That's not to say there aren't problems. Don't mishear me. They're just going to fabricate problems and say, oh, it's just like these other things. And You see this, I think, to some degree with the Fulton DA uh, aggressively pursuing these two black police officers for their treatment of two black college students, claiming that this is all some some improper police brutality thing. When if you watch the video, it is fair from the police vantage point to say they urged these two to stop. They wouldn't stop. And they took action to make them stop. Uh, And now they're suing to get their job back. If Paul Howard were not under investigation by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and in a contested race, he probably would not be so aggressive. And the fact that you have the Atlanta police chief coming out and saying that too means you probably should pay attention to that story. Well, you know, I told you guys my prediction is there's going to be a backlash uh, about an overreaction. Here, Here's part of it. So Cops is canceled. The longest-running reality TV series in American history, also highly popular, it is canceled. Uh, And the most popular reality TV show in America, Live PD, is under review by A&E. It is the literally Live PD. It is a show I don't watch, but virtually everyone I know watches it. It is uh, the most popular uh, syndicated or no, it's on A&E. The most popular reality based show in the country right now is Live PD where essentially it's the live streaming of police officers around the country, and it may get canceled. And HBO Max has unveiled its service. It has deleted the guns from Elmer Fudd. Y'all, wait until HBO Max decides to digitally revise the White Walkers in, in Game of Thrones. My goodness gracious. Uh, <laughs> yep, they're going to give a whole new meaning to White Walkers. Um, it, 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 can you imagine what if, if they can digitize the guns 
out of out of Elmer Fudd's hands. What can they do with the White Walkers? You're going to have a little. You're going to have a bunch of skinny jeans clad uh, emo walkers walking through with their little struggle session, singing "Kumbaya" down with police brutality as as they as they walk through. Um, no, you're thinking they're going to turn them into clans. No, they're not going to turn them. No, 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 no. Uh, they're they're going to revise the white. If they're using the phrase white walkers, no, it's going to be here. Look at how they rescued that dragon from the lake and saved it. Um, they're, they're, they're <laughs> but, but they've also, HBO has decided to ban uh, the showing on its streaming service of Gone with the Wind. These people are nuts. Uh, they they are they're, they're genuinely nuts for doing stuff like this, uh, and yet that's what they're doing. They've lost. The, they are overreacting, and that's going to provoke a reaction from people, and and it's going to end badly for all of us. Now, the CrossFit CEO has quit. He's he's resigned. He should. What a disaster there. Uh, you know. So I'm I. You never know it. Looking at the, my live stream that I actually go to CrossFit. I'm working on it. But I actually do like CrossFit. CrossFit style, I shouldn't say CrossFit. The, the gym that I go to does CrossFit style work, but they also do more than that. Uh, and so that they, they kind of distance themselves from the CrossFit label. Uh, but they did it because uh, it, they were doing more than just the CrossFit style uh, wads, the, the, the daily workouts that you do. And the CrossFit CEO has caused all sorts of turmoil for the brand CrossFit. Because he essentially said that um, he he said all sorts of stuff. And ultimately on a phone call with a lot of the gym members who were outraged by his comments about George Floyd, he said none of them were mourning George Floyd. Why should they? Oh, that led to a further meltdown. And they finally had to basically tell him to get out, Uh, which is good. uh, And maybe that'll save the brand. Listen, I I actually, so I, I was a gym member for years and I, I suck at going to the gym and I pay someone uh, to, to work out with it. And, and now I, I go to a, a CrossFit box and I pay extra so that I can work out by myself uh, with no one around. And I like that a whole lot better uh, than, than going in and doing a class. I, I don't really like the class structure in CrossFit anyway, cause I suck. Uh, so I want to do it by myself, but it's, it's, it's a way it's more fun to me than the standard workouts, even though they're awful. Uh, I burn way more calories in a CrossFit style workout. Uh, so I go to this place called towel training, um, in Macon, and I was going to this place called CrossFit Encompass, which is fantastic. I just, my hours and their hours didn't align. And so I had to go somewhere else. Otherwise I'd still be going to Encompass up on, uh, Zebulon road. And so I'm, I'm now going to this towel training facility and and I, I hate burpees. Everybody hates burpees, but it, it's just, it, it's so much different from your standard. Okay. I'm going to go do the bridge press and now I'm going to do the bicep curls and now I'm going to do squats and, and on you do all that stuff, but in different ways. And I just, I like it. Uh, and people who go to CrossFit actually do you do tend to see, even I see, I mean, hell I've lost like 15 pounds going to CrossFit. Um, and it's fun. And so it's terrible to see the brand undermined by the CEO who is completely tone deaf and hopefully him stepping aside will help them salvage some of this because I do think they do good work. I know a lot of people who have benefited greatly from it from a lot of issues, Uh, but man, that guy completely tone deaf in how he's handled this stuff. Now, when we come back, we need to be a little bit confessional because man, did I lose it on a caller yesterday and we should probably talk about my loss of my temper with one of you people who called in yesterday. 
All right. Before I get to my caller last night, I'm going to go to an actual caller. I promise not to yell. Bill in Woodstock, I'm going to go to you next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. I enjoy your show. Thank you. Um, I have a question or an opinion on uh, President Trump. Okay. I don't, I'm not sure that he expected to win in 2016, and then all the excitement came about and he won. I'm not sure that he wants to win re-election, and some of these ideas might be why he continues to do the crazy tweets and the rants and says things that are just off the charts sometimes. <laughs> I didn't vote for him the first time, but I, like you, liked the policies, liked my 401k, liked the jobs reports, and was considering voting for him the second time. And the fact that we can't figure out the president, maybe that works to his advantage. <laughs> <laughs> he leaves everyone off their game, that's for sure. You know, Bill, okay, so so I don't know that I've ever, ever given this. Uh, I've never talked about this publicly. But I have friends who are on the Secret Service detail uh, the night of the election. And they tell me uh, a couple of them were moved from Clinton's campaign over to uh, the, the, the Trump campaign and that the Clinton team went into complete meltdown when the Secret Service began to abandon their post there to go to the Trump headquarters and uh, that, that Clinton apparently had just an ugly, ugly scene uh, of of not accepting that she had lost. And also that when they arrived at the Trump campaign, that no one believed them. Uh, and that they they actually had trouble entering uh, because they just simply were not believed and that it came as a shock to them. And it was the realization. Uh, I, in fact, I'm specifically told with Jared Kushner, it, it was it was the the it was the Secret Service showing up to to provide additional support for the president elect. Uh, that he actually finally started to realize they were winning and that the, the president's wife herself uh, and several of the other round just absolutely couldn't believe that he had won. And there were a lot of people there who did not believe that the president had won. And the president himself, I am told, was somewhat skeptical until the Secret Service showed up that he had actually won. Uh, despite the public pronouncements and, and assurances behind the scenes, it was completely reversed. And I, I, so I do think it was somewhat of an accidental presidency. I'm also told on very good authority. Oh, I, maybe I shouldn't say this one because I don't want to burn a source, but, but it is on good authority <laughs> that, uh, the president's wife was assured he had no shot at winning and that she was okay with, uh, everything because they didn't really necessarily think that he was going to win. Uh, and, and then he did. And she has apparently come to terms with this. She's a great first lady. Uh, but uh, there was some squeamishness about him really getting in, what it would mean to the family if he won. And then, of course, uh, on the idea that he wouldn't win, maybe that's just something they said to reassure people. But uh, then he got in. And I just my frustration with him, Bill, is the it, it, he's now the president of the United States. And whether he likes it or not, he's no longer a non-politician. He is a politician. He's an elected president. And Americans, rightfully so, tend to hold the president to a higher standard than everyone else. And, and you can say, well, he's a novice, he's, he's a one-term, he's an accidental president, whatever, but he's the president of the United States. And if nothing else, the president of the United States, in particular this president, brags about surrounding himself with super smart people. And unfortunately, the president these days tends to be surrounded by an island of misfit toys who who they're, they're in it for themselves and their commission, and they're not in it to get him reelected. And then there's the excuse making for the president. And that leads me 
that that leads me to the caller last night, Mike from Rome, who called my evening show. He didn't call this show. Called my evening show, and I, I kind of I don't know that I should I, I don't know that I should play my rant. Uh, and, and I was just going to to talk reasonably about the phone call. I, I guess I should have should have told Charlie ahead of time that I was going to do this, and he could have decided for me whether or not I should play the actual rant. Uh, that I, oh, oh man, I'm, I, I hung up on the guy. He kind of made me mad, but I do want to, I do want to play his call, uh, and, and maybe not the rant, but I will play his phone call. And then I will talk dispassionately about what I said last night here. Here's what Mike from Rome said yesterday. All right. Hey, I got to take issue with you on this whole Trump thing. Um, with his tweets is just, you know, I think you're doing a very big disservice to to him um, by saying, and others say it too, is like, I like Trump, I support him, but he needs to get off Twitter. He needs to do something about Twitter and blah, blah, blah. Is you, We're holding him, it's an example of you're holding him to a standard that you don't hold anybody else in your life. There's things that you don't like about everybody in your life, spouses, employees, and all that sort of stuff, but you don't go broadcasting it and casting doubt on your spouse, for instance. That that's where I hung up on him. Um, let, let 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 me talk more reasonably about this. The president yesterday decided to tweet out something he had seen on OAN, uh, which is more of a propaganda network than a news network. It is a network where every single person on the network. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm suddenly, Charlie has not chimed in, but I'm getting multiple listeners who heard me last night. I'm seeing that their text messages and emails come through. Play the rant, play the rant. <laughs> let, let, let me talk dispassionately first, please. Um, the president yesterday spent his time tweeting out that OAN story that maybe the maybe the guy was trying to jam police frequencies. Uh, may, maybe he set himself up for the fall, what, what have you. There were all sorts of conspiracies about that 75-year-old in Massachusetts who the cops shoved. He fell over. He busted his head. There are even some people out there who claimed that he had blood packets and intentionally fell over, didn't actually bust his head open, and then uh, opened the blood packet. I'm kidding. No, no, not kidding. Now, the president didn't go that far. But the president was suggesting this guy was using a device to scan police frequencies and jam them, uh, which everyone I know who's in this business says it's not actually – that wouldn't have been technically possible with with what the guy had in his hand. Um, it, but the president decided to circulate that out, and it, it just – it turned into another story. Y'all, you have heard me say enough that the president of the United States needs to focus on – keeping people safe and putting them back to work. And every time he's on Twitter talking about conspiracy theories and calling people traitors and bashing Colin Powell, he's not talking about keeping people safe and putting them back to work. And and for this caller to tell me, um, I wouldn't hold my, I wouldn't call out my wife on Twitter. No, I wouldn't call out my wife on Twitter, but she's not the freaking president of the United States. Neither is my kid. But I, you're absolutely wrong about me holding the, not holding them to a standard. I hold them to a high standard too, and I would expect them to do better. But I'm also a talk radio show host who covers the news, and it was huge news that the president tweeted. Can I not voice my opinion to you about the president doing this? And by the way, overwhelmingly, Republican voters who love the president are in agreement the man needs to get off Twitter.
to to do this to 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 go in this direction and say um, we shouldn't call out the president for his bad behavior. The problem is that everyone around the president right now just wants to hump his leg, ostentatiously so. If the president were to come out tomorrow and shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, people really would go out and cheer the man. If he used a racial slur, people would really go out and cheer the man. I mean, if you can't say anything other than, yes, Mr. President, and hump his leg, you're not actually helping him right now because he needs to focus on winning re-election. And there are an increasing number of Republicans out there who are afraid he doesn't want to. And, you know, I'm in a very weird position on this because I actually, in 2016, didn't think he was going to win. And overwhelmingly, my friends were convinced he would, and they were right. And now I'm the guy saying, wait a second, it's June. You can't say the president's going to lose. It's June. And these very same friends of mine, many of them, not all of them, but many of them in 2016 were, who were telling me, don't worry about it. He's going to win are like, gosh, it's over. Does the man even want to win reelection? And I'm thinking, wait a second, it's June. You can't say it's over. It's June. We haven't even got to Labor Day. That's when it's really going to matter. The debates, the debates are going to be when it really matters. Things are going to shake up. But there is a, a malaise and a despondency already sitting in among a lot of Republicans, in large part because of the president's behavior. Like Bill from Woodstock just said, it doesn't actually sound like the president wants to win. He's not functioning as a president right now. He's on Twitter tirades. Why is he in the White House watching propaganda networks that just want to hump his leg and then tweeting out random conspiracy theories instead of actually focusing on jobs, the economy, and keeping people safe? It, it, it's a huge frustration behind the scenes. And you don't have to believe me on this. The White House team his campaign advisors are having crisis meetings about this. His campaign team, his White House team, I'm hearing from them. They know that the president has started reading what I write and uh, paying attention to me on Twitter. And they're like, can you say something? Be respectful, of course, but can you point it out? No one seems to be able to get through him right now, get through to him right now. And he's even increasingly gone away from watching Fox News to watching OAN, which is essentially a propaganda network for the president. Uh, on OAN, the president rose again from the third day after the third day and, and heals all. It, it's it's bizarre to watch. Um, and he's only hearing people who want to tell him what he wants to hear. And he, he's not listening to the the bad news out there right now, which is a problem. Because there is some bad news out there, but it's all correctable. And that, that's, that's the issue here, is there is so much right now that is correctable, and it's not being corrected. It's, it's being ignored. And there's a level of frustration setting in with the president's team. But again, don't hear me saying the president's going to lose. Hear me saying it's June. We're a long way from the election. We got over 150 days from the election. But there are things the president needs to do. All right, all right, all right. All right. I will play, and my apologies. I, I I got I got a little little upset. Um, it's not what I I used I used some language that I'm allowed to use on radio, but I probably I shouldn't use on radio as a as as someone who is noted to be someone of faith and and who takes my faith seriously. I shouldn't have used the language that I used, so I will apologize in advance. But by popular demand from you people, I will play the rant, the phone call, and the rant last night. And you can hear me passionately arguing that we must hold the president to a standard and get him to focus on winning his election because it really does matter and he needs to win. Here now, last night. All right, to the phones we go. Mike and Rome, you're going to be next. Welcome. 
Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. All right. Hey, I got to take issue with you on this whole Trump thing um, with his tweets. Is just, you know, I think you're doing a very big disservice to to him um, by saying, and others say it too, is like, I like Trump, I support him, but he needs to get off Twitter. He needs to do something about Twitter and blah, blah, blah. Is you, we're holding him, it's an example of you're holding him to a standard that you don't hold anybody else in your life. There's things that you don't like about everybody in your life, spouses, employees, and all that sort of stuff, but you don't go broadcasting it and casting doubt on your spouse, for instance. Because so, I'm married to her, Mike. He's the president of the United States, and he's being a dumbass on Twitter. Good Lord, have you seen the tweets today? Come on, people. If you can't hold the president of the United States to a higher standard, good gracious, you can't hold your kids to a standard. If you can't hold the president, you're not going to go blast. No, I'm not going to go talk bad about my spouse on radio or on social media. But she's not the president of the United States. Do you not understand that the president of the United States won his election with 70,000 votes spread across three states? And every single poll shows he's lost those voters. Do you know in the election he was three points behind Hillary Clinton in the polls? He actually was behind her by two points when he won, and he won the Electoral College, and he lost the popular vote. He's down 10 points against Joe Biden right now. And the man is doing bat poop crazy conspiracy theories on Twitter. This is his problem, Mike. This is his problem. People like you who can't ever do anything other than hump his leg. Oh, he's just grand and glorious. Oh, the president said the aliens are coming and Joe Biden's been possessed by someone. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad he talked trash about that person. What's next? When the, when the president comes out and he uses a racial slur? Oh, I'm so glad he said that too. We can't say anything critical about the president because he's our guy. I said critical things about George W. Bush when he was president of the United States and not a one of you said a damn word about it. You were all perfectly happy. But Donald Trump comes along and all you can do is hump his leg. I have no idea how you think you're helping the president of the United States get reelected when so much is on the line, when you're not even willing to say, get your butt off Twitter and delete your account, sir. Oh, but we have to get his message out somewhere. He has Fox News. He has OAN. He has talk radio. He can't get his message out that way. The fact that you people think he should be able to get on Twitter and do whatever he wants, however stupid it is, however distracted it is, from the core message and get him spun up and going in every single direction is exactly why he's behind in the polls because you affirm every stupid damn thing the man does so he doesn't pay attention to the getting people safe and getting them back to work instead He's in the White House watching bat poop crazy conspiracy theories on a hack partisan network of propagandists who work for Sputnik News and tweeting about the nonsense as if it's true. And you're all like, oh, I love him. I love him. More crazy. More crazy. More crazy isn't going to win against Joe Biden. It could work against, yes, we cankle Hillary Clinton. It's not going to work against the guy that people generally like, even if they disagree with his policies. And you don't have to believe me. Believe the president's own advisors who have had crisis meetings this week about the president on Twitter distracted from his core message. Good Lord, if the president went out in Fifth Avenue and killed someone, you people really would applaud it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I kind of lost it on a caller last night, but I wasn't wrong. Hello there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, lots of lots and lots of listener feedback on that. And, yeah, look, I feel bad at at, at yelling at Mike Verone because he, he's called the program 
a number of times that he's a nice guy, but it, it just, it set me off last night. And if nothing else, considered a reflection of the frustration of a lot of you listening, I actually do want the president to win. And it is actually really striking to me it, it, how, how petty a lot of people are who, if I criticize the president, well, you don't like him. You've never liked him. You don't really want him to win. No, actually, I do want him to win. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat and Stephen Breyer's seat are going to be up in the next four years. Uh, they're 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 not going to stay on the court, and he could put two more people on the Supreme Court. Uh, in addition to that, uh, Joe Biden is not the Biden he was four years ago. He's not in his right mind, and he's going to have a bunch of progressives hijack his administration, and they're going to go after churches and Christians. It's going to happen. And as much as I have problems with President Trump, uh, I still prefer his policies to Joe Biden's. Uh, and and the fact that there is this cult of personality around the president who will abide no criticism of the president, frankly, I think is one of the contributing factors to why the president does what he does, because he turns on these media channels that want to hump his leg and he turns to advisors who want to hump his leg and he doesn't actually have anybody saying grow the hell up and get off Twitter. And he's a, a 70 something year old man who just doesn't have uh, the he, he just he, he doesn't he, he doesn't. I, I, he doesn't have impulse control. If you recall in 2016, Kellyanne Conway took his phone away from him and told him that uh, he could get it back if he met certain metrics and he would meet those metrics and then she would let him tweet. And that happened after Labor Day. And he's going to need to get back to that. He's going to need to to. He, he's he's got to do something. It is it, it just it frustrates me to look at this, and a lot of people say, "Well, it's just like 2016," but this isn't 2016. He's not running against Hillary Clinton. He's the president of the United States who is presiding over an economic meltdown that is not his fault, but presidents always get blamed for the economy, and he needs to focus on an economic rebound. And there are really good numbers out there uh, pretending for any portending, not pretending, portending for an economic recovery. You know, the Dow Jones and the S&P and all, they're where they were now back in December. The Dow, the NASDAQ got over 10,000 for the first time yesterday. We're, we're charting in the right direction. People don't feel safe. And people feel like they still need to get back to work and their neighbor needs to get back to work and the president can help. By the way, if your business is struggling, I'm seeing Marco Rubio talking about PPP right now. Don't forget, you can go to First Liberty Building and Loan and let them help you get into the PPP program. It's still working. It's still helping people. Uh, what you do is you go to firstlibertyga.com, and they have a link on their website, and it says apply now. Click that link and fill out the paperwork, and First Liberty Building and Loan in Noonan can help you. Now, it you don't have to be in Georgia for First Liberty to help you. You can be anywhere in the nation, and First Liberty will help you. And you go to firstlibertyga.com. You you click the link, you fill out the form, and you're golden. They will help you get into the program. Um, there's money available in the program. They can't guarantee they'll get you in the program, but the money's still there, and that's great. Uh, Marco Rubio says there are bumps along the road in implementation, but it's a huge success. It has helped, be, helped keep businesses going. There are a lot of small businesses who didn't think they qualified. They never even tried. If you're even curious about it, go apply. The worst they can do is tell you no, and if you – Maintain it. You don't have to pay it back. FirstLibertyGA.com.
In February, when COVID-19 was a distant concept to most Americans, gold was in the $1,500 range. The Dow was over 29000 Today, as the virus tears apart the economy, gold's over $1,700, and the Dow is around 24000 to 26000 Wobbling in between, major market disruptions favor gold, instability, uncertainty, impending inflation, they all favor gold. If you've not diversified some of your savings into gold, there's no better time than today. Protect your savings from further setbacks in the stock market. Gold, it's a safe haven. The company I trust with precious metal purchases is Birch Gold Group. And right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can even move your IRA or your eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver. It's perfect for those who want to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from any more downturns in the stock market. Look back historically, when the bottom falls out of everything else, gold tends to be a safeguard savings. Contact Birch Gold Group to request a free info kit on physical precious metals. See if diversifying into gold and silver makes sense for you. The comprehensive 20-page kit reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can legally move your IRA or your 401k out of risky stocks and bonds into a precious metals IRA. To get your no-cost, no-obligation kit, go to birchgold.com slash Erickson. That's B-I-R-C-H gold.com slash Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC. That's E-R-I-C-K. 877-973-7425. If you would like to be on the program, happy to have you call in. And listen, I, I promise not to not to yell, maybe, <laughs> unless you trigger me. Y'all, have you realized we've, we've got a bunch of progressives in the country who seem to be wanting to stir up a cultural revolution? You know, the Taliban tore down statues, too. And I, it lists Confederate memorial statues are not my hill to die on i actually had a friend of mine ask me yesterday what did i think about this and and i I, I, this could get me in all sorts of trouble but i i kind of think we need to distinguish robert e lee viewed his country as virginia not the united states uh from a, a time where we referred to these you know we didn't refer to the united states until after the civil war it was these united states uh, prior to the Civil War, that that terminology sounds subtle, but a, a collection of states who ceded uh, limited powers to Washington, D.C., Robert E. Lee thought that Virginia was his state and he was going to fight for Virginia, and he was mistaken, uh, and he was a traitor to the country, and he fought for a bunch of slaveholders. Uh, regardless of whether or not he had slaves or not, he fought for the people who wanted to build a slave empire. Not only that, have you ever read the Confederate States of America Constitution? Um, it, it would it would make a socialist proud. The level of state control uh, of the CSA was amazing. Uh, it is not a constitution for anyone who loves liberty and freedom. And Lee sided with those people. But after the Civil War, he did uh, reintegrate into American society and, and worked very much to heal wounds and unite people at a time he was highly respected across the board. And I I, I tend to, and, and I, I don't mean to offend you by this, but given what he did post-war, I do tend to differentiate between him and a lot of the other people from the South. But he's not my hill to die on. He fought for the Confederacy. And it's not my hill to die on to prop up a bunch of Confederate statues because while you may look at them 
and view them as heritage. There are tens of millions of Americans who see those statues and see them as the people who kept their ancestors, monuments to the people who kept their ancestors enslaved and would have enslaved them. And I I just, I can't get worked up about people tearing down the Confederate statues. my, My preference is to put up competing statues and show the evolution of history, not erase the history or tear down the monuments, but put up competing monuments. And I think we should. Uh, I I think there is a way to reconcile the two to show the advance of history without tearing down uh, those historic monuments. Uh, Show that we've moved on beyond them. Let them crumble. Don't maintain them. Show them over time like the monuments of ancient Greece where people just stopped caring and investing in them. And when they crumble, they crumble. If anything, I think doing that, there's a level of symbolism in the crumbling as we ourselves as a society move slowly back away from or move move further away from and don't go back towards that history and put up monuments to Martin Luther King Jr. I'm not opposed to renaming streets and places where in the early 19 teens they were named for the Confederate heroes uh, in places now that uh, you, you have a majority black residents like where I live in Macon, Georgia. Got majority black residents in in this community. Why should they have to drive on the street named for someone who fought against their ancestors' right to liberty? I, I'm I'm okay with it. It's not my hill to die on. I, I'm I if it was me, I would just move on. But I understand that that there are a whole lot of Americans, millions, tens of millions of Americans who see that stuff. And they're like, no, why, why are we propping this stuff up? These people defended slavery. But it's going beyond that for some on the left. It, this is not about just racial reconciliation for some. They are There are some on the left who are hijacking this uh, cause. And they have decided that in hijacking the cause to advance their own cause, they're going to undermine the cause of racial reconciliation. And we're seeing this left-wing advance of socialism, the idea that if only we let the mob be in charge, that the mob will fix things. I I don't know if you've seen this, uh, but the mob itself has race issues. And in fact, the mob is turning on the mob because some in the mob just aren't sufficient enough, uh, sufficiently woke enough to be able to care for the revolution. We're seeing it. It's just it's it's kind of it's kind of bizarre that we it's just it's it's kind of bizarre that we're seeing the woke crowd. And of course, they did this. This is like uh, Robespierre of the French Revolution. You know, Robespierre uh, led the committee in France during the revolution and ultimately lost his head to it. As the reign of terror began, as as the woke crowd, we see how this goes. You know, the difference between the American Revolution and the French Revolution, the French Revolution, much like the Maoists of, of China, much like the woke kids of America, the American Revolution was a conservative revolution where the American revolutionaries believed that they were entitled to something that belonged to them already. That is the English Bill of Rights, and they were fighting for it. And when they couldn't get it with the king, 
They decided to throw off the king, but still go back and grab what they thought was theirs. Uh, the history, uh, you read, and, and you know, for the longest time, the, Charles Beard, the, the historian, w- was very adamant that it was a, a uh, mercantilist revolution. And now you've got the the idiots at the New York Times saying it was a revolution about defending slavery, which it wasn't. Uh, if you actually read the writings, not of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and, and Thomas Paine, but read the writings of the soldiers who fought in the revolution and of their wives and of the farmers and of the silversmiths and the others, what you see is that they really did think they were fighting for a just cause of liberty that they were being denied their rights and that there was no way to get those rights without a revolution. And they were revolting essentially to preserve the English Constitution. The French Revolution, on the other hand, uh, was about getting rid of the past, getting rid of the ancient regime, getting rid of the old and bringing about something new. And that's what is happening here. And those tend to be so, since they're not anchored in the past or in history, they tend to be something new and inevitably turn into something violent. And we're seeing that with their bans and purges. I mean, gone with the wind and and, and the like. It's just, this is going to be a problem and there's going to be a reaction to it. And and here's my problem. You know, I talked about yesterday, the the caller that I had yesterday who, well, he's got issues with us focusing on the videos and not focusing on the rest of it. The failing schools, the crumbling communities, the drugs, the violence, the incarcerations, um, the lack of fathers, all of that. The bad schools, we're, we're not, we, we don't talk about that, and it's not even in the conversation right now. And he doesn't want the black community to be shortchanged again, as he feels like historically they always are, when well-meaning white people, they focus on the outrage on tape and they ignore the rest of it. What about the rest of the black community? And I'm afraid that we're going to get a backlash from these, these leftists overplaying their hands, and they're not going to be willing They're not going to be able to actually fix the problem. Listen, the mobs don't fix problems. Mobs break things. And it's left for other people to do stuff. You know, here's here's the thing that's going to happen. I saw this. I I forget who put this on Twitter, but I thought it was very clever. Uh, What's going to happen is we're, we're going to abandon police. We're going to defund police in this country. So the rich will go out and they will hire private security to protect themselves. And so crime will disproportionately happen to the poor. Progressives and Antifa will demand that the poor be taken care of. So the rich will have their private security forces taken from them. And in exchange, the state will pay for the private security force and it will be dispersed equally among the rich and the poor. And they will force. And we'll be back to square one. Um, I, I, I thought that was very clever. We're going to wind up somewhere bad in this country, though, in the meantime. And, and this is part of my frustration with the president is I, I, I do think he needs to focus on these things. There's a narrative. There's a story to be told. You know, Americans like stories. So one of the secrets of talk radio, believe it or not, is is people want to hear stories. People like story. Y'all like story time. You know you do. You like the the dramas and on TV that tell you a story. You love to watch the ESPN shows that build up the kid from tragic background who becomes the star athlete. You love story time. Everybody loves story time. And the president has a story to tell. He's just not telling the story right now.
And Joe Biden is telling the story. Joe Biden is telling a story uh, that this president is deeply divisive and this president is uh, not doing what he needs to do. And he's unfocused and he's on Twitter and he's stirring up bad people. And that's why we've got what we've got. The president has a better story to tell. The president came in and took a struggling economy under Obama Biden and turned it into the greatest economy on the planet again. Uh, and then the Chinese unleashed a virus on the world, and, and and the American media and the Democrats don't even want to acknowledge where it came from. They just want to blame the president, while the president's been busy trying to keep people safe and get them back to work. The president's got a heck of a story to tell. He's just not telling it. And 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 frankly, I, I think that is that that's part of the problem. And the president needs some level of focus. Now to the phones we go. Jenny, uh, welcome to the program. Thank you, Eric. First, I want to ask how is Christy. She is doing well. She actually had her scans last week, and uh, she's doing great. The scans were good. Oh, that's so good. I've been praying for her. And Thank you very much. the second thing I want to say is kind of complex. I agree with you 100% on Trump, even though I am a Trump supporter to one of the uh, 100% Trump supporters. But I agree he has hoof and mouth disease, and he needs <laughs> to get over it if he wants to win this election. But he is an impulsive reactor. Now I'm going to criticize you a little bit, and I hope you'll take I'll it. I'll allow it. Well, I hope you'll take it in the spirit in which it's given. Um you are an impulsive reactor, too. And you I sure are, can be. You have identified yourself as a Christian, which I believe you are. But as a Christian, you are expected to witness to others as a Christian. And using bad language, even saying, by God as you do sometimes, is using God's name in vain and is beneath you, Eric. You you have a witness to give, and you're not giving it. And that's my... You know what? Statement. Look, I, I, I appreciate you calling in and saying that. I, I, I really do. And and you're you were definitely right. I, I gotta I gotta watch my mouth too. Um the president needs to watch his tweets and I need to watch my mouth. Um both of us That's have a lot true. to learn even in our years. Uh so thank you very much for that and thank you for the prayers of my wife. I appreciate that. Uh and you know, that is one of the hardest things about being on radio sometimes is you you, you do occasionally get spun up and you let your mouth get the better of you. And we could all remember what Proverbs and James say about your tongue. Uh I will also say this. Maybe how, yeah, how, how do I say it? First of all, don't don't ever say that I I don't allow someone to call in and criticize me or admonish me because uh, I need it too. Uh, we we all do, uh, and and I will take it with the spirit in which it's given. Uh, and I do need to improve uh, myself. We could always stand to use improvement, and also, man, it, it's it's sometimes you just let your frustrations get the better of you. So I got to do better. At the same time, and the president needs to. He's got to win. And he's not going to if he doesn't change. And that amplifies the frustration 
But I, I will endeavor to do better, Ginny, and I thank you for taking the time to call, and I thank you for the prayers for my wife, and I, I, I thank you for your agreement on the president. I, I know I'm not alone and what, what is striking to me. So let me just tell you all a phenomenon that happens on my evening show is I will say what I have said and disproportionately be overwhelmed with comments from people saying, yes, glad you said it. Or have someone like Ginny call in and say, yes, the president needs to watch out for this. I'm a Trump supporter, but he needs to watch out. And But most of the people who will call in are just angry that I uttered a critical word about the president. And as I, I said in my rant about the, the, the Mike from Rome call, I have spent my years as a conservative writing about the fr- things that frustrate me as a conservative with Republicans, the constant lying about actually caring about the budget and the deficit and the debt and and, and on and on it goes. And, and they always lie to us and all. And I, it, it's it's just frustrating to me to have people call in who they can they love the criticism of other Republicans, but they can't tolerate criticism of Donald Trump. I'm an equal opportunity praiser and criticizer. I will tell you when I think the president's done something great. I'll tell you when I think he's done something wrong. And it's just it, it's eye opening to me how many of his supporters can't abide any criticism of the man. It, it really is cult like to me, and I don't mean that disparagingly. It just really is, and that's not a criticism of him. It's a criticism of the people who have so emotionally invested in him. Uh, that they're really not paying attention to the issues. They're just letting him lead them instead of thinking for themselves, and that is problematic. All righty. We got other stuff that we need to discuss. I want to spend just a moment here. on. And by the way, Austin Chambers is going to join me uh, at the bottom of the hour. The uh, Republican State Leadership Committee, he oversees uh, state legislative elections. And uh, they Republicans need to do well in state legislative elections to handle redistricting. But before I get to any of that, I want to spend a little moment talking about the virus because there are 17 states are actually showing increase. And, you know, I, I so I mentioned earlier, um, I'm probably I, I, I'm probably not going to be here on Friday and Monday. Well, in, in fact, I know I'm not. Um, and I, I'm. I'm probably just going to go sleep. I, I very much, my aunt died uh, and, and hands down my favorite aunt and she's not really an aunt. Uh, she's just our closest family friend and had been, I mean, since I was a kid, she's my kindergarten teacher. She taught me to tie my shoes, bought me my first suit, uh, introduced me to Piccadilly Cafeteria, which if you're from Louisiana, that's a thing. Oh man, uh, miss that place too. And I was talking to my doctor this morning about going to her funeral this Saturday. And she basically taught my entire parish. Louisiana has parishes, not counties. And there's going to be a just if, – if there's a funeral, there's going to be a massive turnout. And I would like to go. I'd like to see my parents. I haven't seen my parents in person in some time. And my doctor told me this morning he would prefer me to go to Wuhan, China, or Las Vegas, Nevada – then go to Louisiana right now, uh, given the viral trend lines in Louisiana. So if I went, uh, he told me that I would need to be in quarantine going back. And and he said, if you went to Vegas, you would hang out in your room uh, because I I don't gamble. Um, But if I went to Louisiana, I would would go out and see the sights and all. Um, So I'm not going to go, but I got to have a break. And and we'll, we'll talk about that a little more later. But I, I'm I'm looking at the viral trends in Georgia, and the numbers are actually good. It actually is good. 
Uh, there have been little bounces along the way, but the overall trend line continues in Georgia to be very good. The spikes that we have seen in the rolling averages, even the spikes now, they're starting to decline. We've had little blips. But like, for example, uh, the 29th of May, 808 cases, 806 cases on June 1st, uh, 734 cases on June 2nd, uh, 693 cases on June 3rd. Uh, these are all very good signs in the state of Georgia. And, and notice we're not seeing all the people who said Brian Kemp had blood on his hands. I mentioned this yesterday. Um, it, it's it's nice to see that people are starting to recognize Georgia is slowly reopening for business, and we're not seeing that. My favorite restaurant in Georgia's Table in Maine. It's up in Roswell, and they are reopened for business. And I am very excited about them reopening for business. Um, and it, it's if you've never been there, everything on their menu comes from within like fifty miles of the restaurant. It's it's fantastic. Uh, they're good people. It is a great, great restaurant, and I'm excited at some point to be able to go back. And in fact, I, I wanted to get a reservation there tonight. I got to be in the city, and they're booked up, which I take as a good sign. They, they've reduced capacity. They're taking they're taking um, steps to be safe, but it it's a good sign that they're getting back to business. And around the state, we're seeing this, and in state after state after state, uh, we're seeing good trends. So, I mean, take Clark County for example. Clark County has seen an increase in cases, but it's starting to show the decline again as well, which is good. Um, take uh, take Habersham County. Uh, it is, it's, it's on a complete decline. By the way, that reminds me, I'm going to be in Habersham County uh, next, what, next Thursday. I'm going to be up there uh, and uh, look forward to getting up there. And I got a buddy of mine who wants to take me trout fishing when I go up there. I, I may have to take him up on that, but the trend lines in our state are good. The governor listened to the experts, and it's paid off to get our economy regoing. It's me. Welcome across the nation now, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Joining me from the Republican State Leadership Committee uh, is my friend Austin Chambers. Uh, the, the RSLC focuses a lot on the state legislative races and state wins and uh, well, what are the trend lines? Let, let's talk to Austin. How are you? Good morning, Eric. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. So it, we, we had all the <laughs> the electoral meltdown in Georgia last night, but also had some elections shaping up. And, and I, I keep trying to tell people that it, this is the election that matters for redistricting the state legislative races. And, and how are things looking out there? Look, that's uh, that's our number one focus every day is making sure that Republicans are in a good and prime position ahead of redistricting um, that's going to take place in 2021. And Georgia is a key battleground uh, for that. Uh, we're all in on protecting the state house there. And we had a tremendous slate of Republican candidates who won last night, uh, despite some of the dysfunction that we saw in Democrat counties last night in Georgia. We had a great slate of Republican candidates up and down the ballot who won their primaries. Well, it, it, we did, and you have Democrats in Georgia. It, it, it's actually kind of interesting to me. You've got this – I looked, and in 2012, 14, 16, and 18, the New York Times in each of those years ran a story that that was the year Georgia would turn blue, and now we've got it in, in 2020, and you've got Democrats saying, oh, we're going to flip the legislature, at least the House of Representatives in Georgia. And I start looking at these races that they say they're going to flip in Georgia, and it almost looks to me like the Republicans have more of a chance to flip back some House, some house seats than the Democrats do a flip in the state blue. 
Absolutely. One of the best opportunities we've got, Eric, is to take out the House Minority Leader, Bob Trammell. He's in a district that Donald Trump won in 2016 and our friend Governor Kemp won in 2018. And we've got an incredible candidate running against him this time. We just released two television ads this morning uh, that are up against him. A lot of uh, advertising already taking place. I believe we're going to take him out. We're going to flip that seat, and we're going to flip many others, and I think make some great gains in Georgia this time around. The media is not going to cover that because, you know, as sure as the sun's going to rise tomorrow morning, we're going to have two things in Georgia that we know are that we know are true. One is that the media is going to write how vulnerable Georgia is and how the Democrats are going to take control. And number two, what we saw last night again is that Fulton County is going to have election problems. We know both of those things are going to happen. We're going to have to fight back again. Them, and we're going to do just that by running good candidates, good campaigns, good conservatives all across the state of Georgia. Now, let me ask you this, because I'm, I'm curious your take. And, and for those of you who don't know Austin, uh, you've been involved in politics for a while. You, you've worked with uh, folks like David Perdue and Brian Kemp. You've worked out of state as well, Kay Ivey in Alabama and others. We're, we're, we're in a global pandemic, lots of people sheltered in place, people having to change the way they campaign. How do you campaign during a pandemic when people can't go out to rallies and, and restaurants and glad hand and knock on doors and stuff like that? Look, you know, we've had great candidates who've adjusted during this time uh, all across the country. There's been a lot more phone calls, a lot more text messages, a lot more Zoom town halls, a lot more, you know, virtual interactions with folks. It certainly, you know, takes away from the the retail politics side of it, but we've been really – uh, impressed by how candidates have adapted during this time to stay plugged in with their neighbors, stay plugged in in their communities, and make sure that they're hearing uh, the needs of folks during this uh, this crazy time. The good news is Georgia was leading the way under Governor Kemp's leadership of getting back to a sense of normalcy and safely reopening in a way that gets people back to work but protects their health and safety as well. So things in Georgia are, are a few weeks ahead of everywhere else, and they're they're getting back to a more normal sense both in life and in campaigning. And I think we're going to see that across the country as well. Now, what do you see moving forward in the state? Uh, Democrats, obviously, they're trying to convince nationally the Democrats to pour money into the state. Uh, You've got Stacey Abrams, obviously, on the ground here knocking on doors. And I'm I'm just I'm curious as to what you see the angles are for the GOP in Georgia, not just to hold, but but maybe even to advance. Well, Eric, I think this is an extremely important question, and I think this is the first year where we should take the Democrats' spin seriously, because if you look at the trends, if you look at the data, they do have a really good shot this year of making gains. And we have to make sure that we take nothing for granted, uh, that we're all in. We've got our eye on the ball, because if we don't, uh, we could jeopardize ourselves in the presidential election. We could jeopardize ourselves in the two Senate races and jeopardize losses all the way down the ballot. But I think if we if we do what we need to do is as Republicans in Georgia, we get our message out about what good Republican leadership has done over the last 16 years in Georgia, then I know we're going to be successful. What I'm excited most about, I think, is the the prospect of David Perdue running against John Ossoff. Uh, I mean, it's the perfect contrast for him. I, I was actually worried Teresa Tomlinson could have been a good candidate, but, um, you know, they rallied around John Ossoff, and I think it's just the perfect contrast for David because he's as inexperienced and as liberal and as out of touch as you can be. I mean, you just look at him, and he oozes arrogance and out of touchness, and it's just he, he's not going to connect with Georgians. David Perdue's going to wipe the floor with him.
You know, I, I got to tell you, so I was on a, a roundtable of a bunch of journalists last night talking about the Georgia elections, and there were one, two, three, four, four journalists there and me, and one of them said, being a journalist, have you ever encountered John Ossoff's journalism? And, and no one ever had. Uh, this 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 guy uh, has never truly been vetted. Uh, he was loved so much by the, by Hollywood and the national press in the 2017 special election. There, there's a whole lot there to explore with John Ossoff. Yeah, I can guarantee you that none of the folks you were with last night in that roundtable have ever worked for Al Jazeera. Uh, yes. John Ossoff has, and um, he's just got an interesting background that, as you said, has never been vetted, uh, but it will be vetted this time around. It's something about the Democrats in Georgia, Eric, they love to fail up. They've got Stacey Abrams, who lost the governor's race, who they think is entitled to be vice president, and they've got John who lost the most expensive congressional in the country, had every dollar he could possibly need, who now thinks he's entitled to be a U.S. senator. Uh, one day, the Democrats in Georgia might nominate somebody who's not a loser. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Now, let, let me let me step back from Georgia for a minute, because you, you're not just handling races in Georgia, but around the country. Uh, what's the lay? This is it's it's you got an incumbent president. Uh, you got polling wins that suggest the GOP could have some difficulty out there. What, what are you seeing in the lay of the land nationally with these state legislative races? You know, it's um, what you just said is exactly right. But here's what I would caution folks on. We're 146 days away from the election. A lot's going to change between now and then. You know, three months ago, Bernie Sanders was cruising to the Democrat nomination and Republicans were, you know, counting their victories. Uh, a, a month ago, we were in the middle of a, a global pandemic that was the only thing people were talking about, and it was going to be what, what decided the election. You know, a week ago, we were in the midst of, of crazy riots, and that was the only thing people were talking about. Just a few days ago, we were in the midst of the best jobs records we've ever had. So, Anyone who tells you that they know what this election is going to be about and they know how it's going to go will lie to you about other things, too. But here's what I know. If we have the right candidates, if we run good campaigns, if we push good messages, we can be successful all across the country. And I think what the Democrats have given us on this defund the police uh, narrative and policy and plan that they're pushing is a huge gift. Because the best, thing, the, the most important thing Republicans have to focus on right now is how do we win back college-educated suburban women? And they've handed us a great gift with defund the police here, uh, the Democrats have, in order to, to help win back college-educated suburban women. And that's going to be critical in places like Atlanta and Philadelphia and, and Milwaukee and, and, and these other key suburbs across the country that we've got to pull back. Okay, so I, I, you know, I, I was I was about to wrap up there with you, and, and now you've raised this issue. Let, let me dive in this because I was struck by the NPR Marist poll the other day uh, that men in this country actually are more supportive of the protest than women, and women in this country, uh, particularly white women in the suburbs, are more likely to give the police higher marks for their performance than men, which it sounds completely counterintuitive. Except now I've seen this in several polls uh, that that white suburban women actually are the biggest defenders of the police in America, it seems. Yeah, look, I mean, everyone agrees that peaceful protest is a good thing. Everyone should have the right to peacefully protesting. But looting and burning and throwing bricks and attacking police, that's not peaceful protesting. That's anarchy in the streets. And what we have to do is we have to be a country that prioritizes leadership 
and uh, and law and order over lawlessness. And if that's what this election comes down to, which is how it's framed up right now, we're going to win. And uh, what suburban women, I think, care about is making sure that, uh, the, that they have good jobs, making sure that their families are taken care of, making sure their communities are safe, making sure their kids' schools are good. If we focus on those real kitchen table issues that affect people every day and don't get drawn into this back and forth with the Democrats in the media about, you know, what the president tweets and, you know, what so-and-so said last night on cable news, and we focus on the basic bread and butter issues, we're going to be successful. Well, I would agree with you on that, uh, although trying to escape the president's tweet some days. <laughs> Listen, uh, g- g- congrats on the success thus far. I know we've got a long way to go and more than 100 days until the, the, the big game, but uh, I- I'm actually encouraged by what we saw last night in Georgia with some of these Republicans as well and know the RSLC yep. has a lot to do with this stuff. So thanks for stopping by. Thank you, Eric. Talk to you soon. Stay safe out there. You too. Austin Chambers, the Republican State Leadership Committee. And, you know, and this is a point worth emphasizing, everyone. If the Democrats blow the Republicans out of water in November, guess who rewrites the district lines for Congress and the state legislatures and locks in? That's one reason the Republicans have been so successful this last decade is that in 2010, the GOP uh, due to a backlash over Barack Obama, the, the GOP swept into a lot of these offices and they were able to re-light, rewrite legislative lines. And frankly, they gerrymandered. And that's what the Democrats had done. And, uh, you know, you got to remember here in Georgia, for those of you who are transplants to Georgia, in 2001, the state legislature in Georgia convened after the 2000 election and began rewriting the district lines in Georgia and stretching districts across the state. Literally, there was a district in Augusta that went all the way to Macon, and there was a district in the state house that went from Columbus to Macon, and there were giant districts where they packed in four people into multi-member districts, all in a desperate ploy to hold on to power. And the result, frankly, is that uh, voters reacted negatively to the Democrats doing that. They swept the uh, they, they swept the Republicans into power and the Republicans rewrote the lines again. And you're going to have situations like that if, if you don't if you're not careful. Um, so you got to get engaged in these state legislative races, down ballot races. A lot of people skip them, but you can't because those are the races that reshape Congress. Ultimately, you got to stay engaged. And the GOP did have some good success. Uh, we we lost some good conservatives in the state legislature in Georgia last night, but they'll be replaced by good conservatives as well. Uh, now I'm going to go on and, and reset reset on this stuff. So I'm going to go on and take a commercial now, and then we come back. We got other news we need to talk about, including the president just making an announcement in the last 20 minutes that he's headed to Dallas tomorrow. I'll tell you why. So the president is going to go to Dallas tomorrow. He's going to sit down with with faith and business leaders uh, in the black community and talk about what's happening in the country and uh, where this is where we're headed. And I think it is the it's it's the right way to go. Um, it's it's listen. I the president's got a an opportunity to do something to show that he is a leader and not just a tweeter. And the left is going to criticize him. The media is going to criticize him, regardless of what he does. You and I both know. Um, you and I both know that the president 
should he go down this road, he is going to be attacked by the media. They're going to say, well, how can he really do it? He can't be really sincere. On and on and on it goes. And he's got to do it anyway. He needs the ability to shine anyway. And I, I, I'm, I, I really think that there is a way for the president. You know, there's that, that old saying, only Nixon could go to China. Maybe only this president can do this stuff. Maybe this president is the guy, given his background and his statements and what people think of him, maybe he's the guy, and, and, but I don't know that he is the guy. Does he want to be the guy? Is he going to be the guy who stands up and, and tackles an issue that so many people suddenly care about? I, I think he could. I don't know whether he will. Um, and, and, you know, there's another message here that he can go towards as well, and it's one Mitch McConnell gives him from the floor of the Senate yesterday. I have no criticism for the millions of Americans who peacefully demonstrated in recent days. Their cause is beyond righteous. It is the inconsistency from leaders that has been baffling. The same governor of Michigan who argued that letting people carefully shop for vegetable seeds, vegetable seeds, would be too dangerous during the pandemic, now poses for photographs with groups of protesters. Here in the District of Columbia, the mayor celebrates massive street protests. She actually joins them herself. But on her command, churches and houses of worship remain shut. I believe even the largest church buildings in the district are still subject to the 10-person limit for things the mayor deems inessential. The rights of free speech, free assembly, and the free exercise of religion are all First Amendment rights. They have the same constitutional pedigree. But apparently, while protests are now permissible, prayer is still too dangerous. <laughs> the president has an opportunity to to pick up this message because, you know, Dr. Fauci, for example, is actually, you, you notice how you're not seeing Dr. Fauci on TV anymore. Dr. Fauci's gone away. And, and it, it was only it was only a few weeks ago that you had CNN running stories. Where's Dr. Fauci? Where's Dr. Fauci? Why, why isn't Dr. Fauci out there? They wanted Dr. Fauci up, and 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 now Dr. Fauci's come out, and he's opposed to the people going out and protesting and says it's going to spread the virus. And it's the media that doesn't want to hear from Dr. Fauci. The media wants to keep Dr. Fauci off the air. I I, I have a hard time keeping up these days uh, with who the media deems worthy of hearing from or not. And, and basically, it all goes to Trump derangement syndrome. If they want to get on TV and say something bad about the president, the media would love to have them. Uh, yeah, you know, for example... After I said that I would support the president in 2020, uh, most of the major media hits that I had that poof disappeared, didn't want to have me on anymore. Uh, to, to his credit, Bill Maher is one of the very few on HBO. Uh, and but major media, nope, nope, can't do it. And then I I was critical the other day about something the president had done, and it related to uh, some of the things he, the, 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 uh, the, the protest and him, uh, going across to St. John's church and holding the Bible in the air. And suddenly everybody, be, Oh, can you come on? Can you come on? I, I had multiple invites for multiple networks to come on and talk about my criticism of the president. I just, I thought that was fascinating and I, I turned them all down. Actually, I ignored them all. I didn't even respond. I just thought it was very notable that, uh, if you want to say something nice about the president, and you're a conservative. Nope, you can't come on. But you want to you want to criticize him. Yep, come on our show. 
I was really actually, and listen, I, I get there. There's media bias. I know there is media bias. I know I worked at CNN for three years and Fox at five years. I know about media bias, but even I am somewhat surprised. Uh, the, so the line that people were focused on and what I had written was that the president, even if you give the president the benefit of the doubt, the spectacle of pepper pellets and smoke canisters to clear out Lafayette Park so the president could walk across the street with a barrier of armed guards to go hold up a book he does not read in front of a church he does not attend uh, to impress the people who are already going to vote for him wasn't a good thing. And, oh, my goodness, the media loved that line and really, really, really wanted me to come on TV shows across multiple networks. And I, nope. Nope, I'm 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 not gonna be the useful guy who you give one shot bites at the apple to to to. So this is a presidential supporter criticizing the president. I, I criticize everybody when I disagree with them, and, and I praise them too. I praise Barack Obama when I thought he did good stuff, which was rare, but on occasion he would do something worthwhile. Uh, and and I praise this president too. But you're not allowed on TV anymore unless it's Fox or or one of these propaganda nonsense networks to get on and and talk. The president, though, can lead even without all of this. The, the president has a bully pulpit and a soapbox. Uh, the president has millions of followers on social media. He could direct his message in his own words and focus on keeping people safe and putting people back to work that doesn't go off into all of these areas. And as the left goes full nuts... On, like, for example, uh, the, you know how people refer to their tribes these days and tribalism? Uh, there are actually now social justice warriors on social media lecturing white people should not use the phrase tribe. My wife has a group of friends. They refer to themselves as their tribe. And white women, you're not allowed to do that. You're, you're not allowed to say that. That is cultural appropriation. When does it end? It ends when the American people get fed up with it. And the question is, is see, the American people are going to get fed up with it. And as the American people get fed up with it, the question is going to be, do they get fed up with it now? Or do they get fed up with it after Biden becomes the, um, a after Biden becomes president? Because one way or the other, they're going to get fed up with it. And they're going to react badly to it. And if they react badly to it prior to the election, it helps Donald Trump. If they react badly to it when Joe Biden becomes president, well, it, it hurts Joe Biden and it hurts the Democrats, uh, very much does. And there will be responses. There, there, and, and the Democrats will have hell to pay for getting hijacked by Antifa and the political correct social justice warriors of the left who are not reflective of the real world. They only exist in large numbers on social media. And boy, the Democrats are just getting hijacked by them. Makes you wonder if these are the Russian trolls too.